You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. One of the pleasures of this job is being able to choose quality work to present. You don't feel obligated by co-op monies or, you know, being pressured by a publisher. Um, and also getting to see material far, far in advance. When New York Review of Books gave me uh, Mr. Osipov's, um, it was like a PDF, I think, of his work, we were so very excited because we knew this was going to be an event. And of course, having Maxim Asipov here is, is such a great honor and a pleasure. In celebrating this wonderful new book, it's called Rock, Paper, Scissors, and Other Stories. Uh, Mr. Asipov is a Russian writer, of course, and a cardiologist. In the early 1990s, he was a research fellow actually here in San Francisco uh, at UCSF. Um, before returning to Moscow, where he continued to practice medicine, uh, he's founded a publishing house uh, in Russia that specializes in medical, musical, and theological texts. In 2005, he established a charitable foundation to ensure the survival of a local hospital in a town called Tarusa, which is about 90 miles from Moscow, where he makes his home. Since 2007, he's published short stories, novellas, essays, plays, uh, bringing him numerous literary prizes for his work. Uh, he's published five collections of prose, and his plays have been staged across Russia. Uh, his writings have been translated into more than a dozen languages. So we're happy tonight to have uh, Sabrina, I'm sorry, Yasi, yeah, uh, to translate for us uh, back into Not English. To, to read. To, to read. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, so, so the, yeah. The so, okay, good. So, <laughs> so uh, welcome to City Lights oh, to you thank both. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I'm maybe the worst English speaker in the audience, but I will speak tonight um, you know, for the whole event, except uh, I cannot really, and I do not want to read uh, my works in English. Uh, so Sabrina kindly agreed to uh, do that for us, and I will read some texts in Russian. Uh, so um, I really want this to be, I don't have a talk, so I really want you to participate as much as you can, ask me questions, please make comments, uh, we can stop after each fragment of text we read uh, in order to you know, get some reaction and maybe to, to you know, uh, talk about translations, about anything uh, you feel appropriate. Uh, so let me ask Sabrina to start reading. We decided I decided to skip the first um, the first uh, uh, story. It's um, the cry of the domestic fall because I understand that most of you do not understand Russian, and uh, so I thought it would be a good idea to start with English reading of this uh, um, fragment of the Gypsy. This. The, the, the story which is has been written in 2010 or 11 I believe so Sabrina yeah please 
Okay, so this is an excerpt from the story called The Gypsy. It comes from near the beginning, and in this story, a young Russian doctor works at a clinic uh, most of the time, and the rest of the time he moonlights for an organization that transports sick people to America. So where this excerpt picks up, they're on the airplane uh, transporting a sick woman to America, and um, he's together with this woman and her husband, Anatoly. The plane to Portland is almost completely empty. He's the only customer in first class. A male stewardess. Is it a steward? Anatoly suggests flight attendant, welcomes them at the entrance. A handsome fellow with an earring in his left ear. Does that rule apply in America? He smells strongly of cologne. A flight attendant, sure. He's a fragrant steward. You know what the steward offers? Let's seat the lady and her husband next to you. Great idea. You see the treatment we get? He wants Anatoly to like America. The steward helps the old woman into her seat. More symbolically than practically, with two fingers, but still. He praises her headscarf, a beautiful color. Things are different at home. If a legless old woman decided to take a plane somewhere, they probably wouldn't let her board. Where is she flying off to? In any case, she wouldn't be able to get on the plane. In first class, forget it. That's strictly for spoiled brats. How can I harass you today, sir? The steward asks in English. Evidently, he has a sense of humor. It seems Anatoly, despite his excellent English, didn't understand the joke. Harassment is a sensitive topic in America. That's how it is here. They have campaigns against everything. So the steward changed, how can I help you, to how can I harass you. I see, I see. What can I do for you is a better translation, Anatoly gently corrects him. That's true, too. It's amazing how these little things can lift one's spirit. So, what shall we drink? He looks at Anatoly, questioningly. You won't condemn him? A doctor on duty and all that? He orders two Campares on the rocks for himself and Anatoly, and an orange juice for Anatoly's wife. My first time getting sauced in an airplane, says Anatoly. You and I are now heavenly drinking buddies. You won't get sauced on a sip of vermouth, of course. Outside the window, total darkness. The fried food behind the curtain smells delicious. They've given the old woman her insulin and pills. They've got glasses in hand. Here's to your new life. And then there's trouble. For the second time today after the Portland mix-up and not counting that nut job of a border guard, he orders meals for himself, Anatoly, and the old woman, and shows off by describing the dishes and translating their names into Russian. But then their dear steward informs them that since only the doctor's ticket is for first class, his two guests are entitled only to snacks. Nothing personal, as they say in America, just regulations. Precisely, nothing personal. He demands three portions of food, along with two extra forks and knives. 
A stewardess comes over, frowns, and shakes her head. Don't they understand? Let them be. They're right, Anatoly pleads. A fair-weather friend. What a weakling. Let's drop it. After the mess we're used to, when something's done according to the rules, oh no, not this time. He'd show them what Russians are made of. But, as usual, the Americans wouldn't actually learn what Russians are made of. While shouting his stern words, he slips up and makes some kind of grammatical mistake. He himself doesn't know where exactly, but of course, garbled insults with an accent to boot are funny. The steward, that son of a bitch, cracks a broad smile. The stewardess turns her back to him, her shoulders shaking with laughter. It's a lost cause. Everyone settles down. They've lost their appetites, but they're given some food anyway, and they eat it. An hour and a half later, he gets up to relieve himself, and through the curtain that separates first class from coach, hears the steward complain. Why do the Russians always stink? It's a specific smell. I'd like to see how you fare after a trip from Yashkar Allah to Moscow, then Sheremetyeva, 17 hours in the air. He finds deodorant. He can find anything in first class and sprays himself. Humiliating, but what does he care? Thank you, you, Sabrina. So if there are already some questions about that, yes, please. Page five. In the Cyrillic. Uh huh. But you have English. What is mother of Kuzma? Oh, it is a really, it was hard to translate because you need few paragraphs for that. It was uh, Khrushchev when he uh, had his famous speech in the United Nations. Yeah, he said that we will show you Kuzkina Mat. In Russia, it's mother of Kuzma, literally. But the translate the interpreter didn't know this expression uh, so he just translated it as mother of Kuzma so for translators it became you know a constant uh, subject of jokes uh, when you translate you know f- phrase literally so um, here they deleted for reason uh, because otherwise it, it should have you know a long long uh, yeah Explanation, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, well, we decided not to have, and I think uh, I don't think uh, it's worth. I mean, it's it's not that you know piece of gold. This really, and uh, I'm happy it was deleted. If if I were uh, you know English. I wouldn't really put it, Mother of Kuzma, here. I think uh, show them what Russians are made of is an excellent translation for this, because it's exactly what uh, the you know uh, character wanted to say. So I think it's a good translation, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no other questions about this fragment. Yes, please. Can you can you speak a bit? I have a more general question. Uh-huh. Um, how closely you collaborate with your translators? 
Oh, this is a very good question. I, I, I collaborate with them quite closely. At the end of, um, after writing each story, I put a lot of, um, uh, you know, notes. Uh, it could be like 200 notes for eight pages long story, uh, trying to explain, uh, well, first of all, I mark all sources of uh, quotes. So for them not to look in, you know, uh, Tolstoy or the Bible or Pushkin or wherever. Uh, and, uh, and it's so easy for me. Uh, second, uh, you know, difficult words uh, or difficult uh, situations, you know, some realities that they may not be aware of. Uh, so I just comment that this is rude, but not as rude as could be this and that. So, and, uh, so for them to, to better understand the context and everything. And uh, because I, I really don't think that reader uh, should understand everything. It's not that we uh, love uh, certain you know, poets or, or writers for being easily understandable. And I myself, uh, when I read uh, some you know, uh, uh, prose, I, I understand this is food. I don't exactly know what, what kind of food is that, but you know, it doesn't make much sense for me. But for, or this is wind, this is the flower, some exotic sort of. But, uh, but for uh, a translator, I think it's important to, uh, to understand as much as possible. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's how I do that. Uh, and they send me uh, drafts of their translations, and uh, I'm very happy when I receive them. Uh, so I, I put again some some notes. I, I really encourage them to go as far from my text as as they want because uh, English and Russian obviously uh, have different means of you know uh, of being expressive. Uh, so, for example, in the story that you would um, uh, the fragment uh, from which you will hear at the end of our reading. Uh, the story, the name of the story was uh, Fantasia in Russian. So Fantasia in Russian is not a bad uh, title because it, it's both uh, imagination and uh, Fantasia like Schubert's Fantasia, the, the genre uh, of freely developed uh, music or poetry, whatever, uh, but, uh, or speech. But um, uh, the translator suggested to translate it, imagination, and which would be, I think, quite boring uh, name, uh, title. So I suggest, why don't we name it Objects and Mirror, uh, which is also appropriate, and which also was my idea initially. Predmeti uh, I thought of, uh, you know, giving this title, and Objects and Mirror. I think it's much better title right? than, and, and and so forth. Uh, there are there are many many uh, examples. Of that. Uh, and I, I make suggestions and I'm very happy they do not follow them. The, so they usually they change something, but not the way I suggest. And this is very good. Yeah. Okay, please. If you're able to produce you know, hundreds of notes for a short story to yeah. explain context and things, that, that suggests that you're putting a tremendous amount of layered thought into creating it in the first place. What so I'm curious, what is that like? You know, is that 
is it as sort of labor intensive as that suggests? Well, well, I think when I write, yes, and <laughs> I have some ideas. So, uh, you know, and plus, it's not only for English translators. It's uh, for translators to all languages. I was translated, or, or will be translated, uh, and also it helps me not to forget uh, some, you know, important things. Because ten years ago, when I read a lot about, let's say, Islam that I've, I forgot now, so I, I, you know, it's, it's very helpful, and it's, it's not time-consuming at all. Uh, plus, at the end of the story, before you start spoiling it, really, editing and editing, and, you, know, uh, you need, you don't want to get rid of it, you know, and, and switch to another uh, story or something else. Uh, so it's a good way to, to stay with it a little bit, I would say. So I'm, I feel very, very comfortable doing that. And, and of course, I always insist it, this is not part of author's text. Uh, it's just for translators. It should never be you know, released. <laughs> no, I don't put it in, in you know, nice form or I just type you know, these notes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then let me read from uh, from another story. The title is, in English, it's Good People. And I will read two fragments. Uh, the very beginning of the story, I will read in Russian, and you can follow, you know, with this bilingual uh, text. Uh, I will read the very beginning and the very end of the story. Добрые люди. Нет, здесь детей нет. Дети лежат в другом корпусе. Седая крупная женщина смотрит Белли в глаза. Белла помнит только фамилию женщины. Арджиникидзе. Фонд сострадания РФ. При детской больнице имени... Имени Белла не помнит. Как и не знает она, что такое РФ. У женщины Арджиникидзе пристальный взгляд человека, обязанного говорить правду, какой бы тяжелой она ни была. И голос низкий. Милое дело сказки читать. Дети от святое. Глубокое, долгое О. Все, что здесь делается, делается ради детей. У нее, у Беллы, есть дети, внуки. Нет, своих нет. Белли кажется, что она отвечала на этот вопрос. Значит, одна денешенька, шипящая, выходит у Арджиникидзе очень отчетливо. Тех, кто переживает реакцию утраты, мы в команду свою не берем. Но поскольку за вас ходатайствовала Ангелина Андреевна, на слове «Ангелина» голос ее теплеет, верхняя губа идет вверх, подобие улыбки. Часть ее речи Белла не поняла, какую реакцию. Арджинкидзе встает. На сегодня закончили. Помним про туб-диспансер? Белла просит ее извинить. Она стала рассеяна. Справки, анализы. Белла все принесет. В ту же минуту она забывает свое обещание. Мир, в том числе театральный, не без добрых людей. Они в последнее время не оставляют ее. Подруги, актрисы, гримерши, художницы еды принесли, приготовили, накрыли на стол. Белла, Беллочка, бедная. Подруги с ней делятся новостями. Всем трудно, у всех болезни и несчастья. Мы знали, что старость тяжелая вещь. Но кто бы мог подумать, что она еще так унизительна. Белла слушает и не слышит их. А услышала бы и не приняла на свой счет. 
Она озирается, всматривается в гостей. Видишь, какой ты стал забывчивый? Ты бы сходила, проверилась, Белочка. У Валентины было не помнит ее, из части тоже скончался муж. Царство небесное. У нас в поликлинике хороший невролог. Валентине очень помог. Белла на кухне, моет тарелки. Она себе может и еду разогреть. Соседей не заливает. Осторожно с огнем, электричеством. Одевается аккуратно, следит за собой. И вполне может справиться без посторонней помощи. Так ей кажется. Пора, наверное, чай подавать. Белла пугается. Там в комнате очень много народу, много незнакомых людей. Что ты, Беллочка, говорят подруги, это все друзья, Левины и твои. Ничего, милая, тут пока посиди. Чтобы не потерялась в городе, надо браслет с адресом заказать. Вот так, кто-то ходить не может, нужно менять суставы, обоязно в этом возрасте, у кого-то давление. А у нас с Беллой Юрьевной слабая голова, как у Ленина. Петечка, осветитель, выпил сегодня лишнего, заявился на кухне. Как наш театр называется, не забыли еще? Моссовета, Ермолова и Станиславского. Белла кивает растерянно. Петечка машет рукой. Даже и лучше совсем без мозгов. Закончить ему не позволили. Вытолкали, да еще обещали, когда притрезвеет, поколотить. Беллу любят в театре, хотя она в нем уже только числится. На сцену не выходила давно. Нужно найти и занятия, к делу пристроить. Без дела она пропадет. Может, Лина попозже заглянет, может, что-то она придумает. Люди и правда добрые. Белла не согласна со Львом, что с артистами трудно дружить. Все норовят подсмотреть, своровать эмоции. От того в несчастье они первые тут как тут. Ой, Лина пришла, ангел наш. Всего на минутку заехала, но как это с ее стороны хорошо. Так мы и знали, она придумает, восклицают подруги. Вот, Лина умничка, все берет на себя. Такая нагрузка, и с каким она блеском справляется. Сколько в ней детского, непосредственного. Почти не пользуется косметикой. А как просто и как красиво она одевается. Все маленькое и изящное. Туфли чуть ли не в детском мире приходится покупать. И этот трогательный рюкзачок. В линии все хорошо и трогательно. Жесты, мимика, интонация, выражение глаз. Все соответствует. Белла Юрьевна. Это самая большая радость. Делать добро. Лина склоняет голову, прижимает правую руку ладонью к груди. Какая чудная фотография Льва Григорьевича. Лина с радостью посидела бы, но ее ждут внизу. Вот и занятие для Беллы. Детям сказки читать. Фонд сострадания. 10 минут на троллейбусе. А если погода хорошая, можно пешком. Почему только сказки? Рассказы, повести. Белла Юрьевна прекрасно умеет читать. И люди вокруг нее будут прекрасные. Лина ей улыбается. И Белла улыбается. Лине в ответ. So, and then the last few paragraphs of this story. Ночью лил дождь. И Белла пробуждалась, ворочалась и засыпала опять. Проснулась уже окончательно от того, что звонил телефон. И смеющийся женский голос говорил торопливо, весело, опуская гласное. Белла Юрьевна, все отменилось, не будет его. Кого? Смех. Того, кто знает тему Ленинградской симфонии. Снова смех, еще голоса. Может, продуло или живот заболел. Справки мы для вас напечатали. Белла Юрьевна, приходите сказки читать. Да что это с вами, не узнаете нас? Белла в задумчивости опускает трубку. Справки, симфония. Сколько вокруг непонятного. А идти? Да, пора. Что-то она опять проспала важное. Белла стоит во дворе, запрокинув голову, и любуется тучками. Сколько в них жизни, веселья. Вот из этой брызни того и гляди. Точно, через мгновение, как в любимых Левиных фильмах. Раз, и повсюду вода. И тут же, почти без паузы, солнце. Белла зажмуривается, подставляет солнцу мокрые волосы, Волосам полезна дождевая вода. В голове у Беллы необыкновенно как-то для последнего времени проясняется. 
По двору возле дальних подъездов идет тот, кого она так ждала. Она зовет его, машет рукой. Он не может не слышать. Почему же не откликается? И откуда собака? Собаки у них слевой не было. Ни детей, ни собаки не было никогда. Well, I, it's it's a good question, but I need to. I will I will look at it, and I will uh, give you some examples. Uh, but in general, I think it's the most uh, difficult thing intonation, because when translator uh, does, for example, Platonov, the uh, it's very very difficult task. Uh, but difficulty is is there. It's it's obvious. It's you know. And uh, so, translators, I, I believe, uh, do translate him uh, fairly well in English. At least uh, I, I, I read some. Of course, I didn't read all uh, translations of Robert Chandler or others. But when they translate Pushkin, for example, you can see no difficulties. Captain's Daughter, the prose, I mean. It's so easy seemingly easy uh, but I have for example I have very good Italian friends and I recommended them uh, to read Captain's Daughter and they said they read seven different translations and they cannot understand why each time I read it I cry mm -hmm. at certain point literally uh, because for them it's it's a story about uh, you know like Walter Scott or whatever mm, some very easily <laughs> understandable adventures uh, you know of the young man and uh, his beloved uh, you know and his uh, uh, niece and uh, uh, shooting and I mean but it doesn't it doesn't really so this is a, a mystery uh, of Pushkin of course which make makes him uh, really untranslatable you may say right but this is a it's about intonation So I think, yeah, but here, I don't know. I think it's beautifully translated. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm, uh, English is not my mother tongue, but uh, it, it seems to me uh, quite adequate. Yeah. So is there any other thoughts or comments? If not, then shall we ask Sabrina? to read further. Okay, so now I'll read the beginning of the aforementioned story, Objects in Mirror. Hold it, bastard. Now they'll grab him by the arms and drag him to the Volvo. 
a terrible force, oppressive, but also attentive, making sure he doesn't howl, isn't hurt. Before they shut his mouth, they'll manage to ask one idiotic question. But why? Then darkness, followed by a whole different story. If there's to be any story at all, if it isn't straight into the furnace. He'd had other plans for this day, especially for how it would end. But these things do happen, without warning. You, he had planned to say to the eight young people who'd enrolled in his course. You are the salt of the earth, worth your weight in gold. The screenwriter is the only true auteur. Directors? Directors can just sit on their hands. The actors will act, the cameraman will make sure they look good on film, and the editor will splice the film together. That's why everyone wants to be a director. He'd shake his head. Directors direct nothing, but you, he'd repeat, are worth your weight in gold. First, he'd intimidate them with his erudition. Then he'd tell them a story in which he himself would come to look foolish, silly. He had a vast reserve of such stories, and they never failed to charm. He was the master, and they were his pupils. Their business was to learn from the master. His was to elucidate the nature of cinema. What constitutes a film and what does not? Then they'd watch a movie together. Transformation, he'd stop his fingers. It's all about transformation. If it takes place, then you understand. That would be enough for the first day. Then he'd go see the twins and give them his collected scripts as a present. The food would be good. Then home to Varya, his wife, and Anuta, his daughter. They'd already be asleep. That was his plan. The day began with a funny and significant incident. While taking the elevator down from the top floor, he glanced into the mirror that had appeared after the last renovation and found himself face to face with a ceremonial portrait of the leader in his marshal's tunic studded with medals, which had been pasted firmly to the opposite wall. He was about to scrape it off with a key when he saw an inscription in blue ink across the white tunic, hangman with a hyphen. There was no mistaking Anuta's writing. On the one hand, it was rather sad. The Gnesin school focused on music, but shouldn't they at least teach her how to spell? On the other hand, it was touching. He scraped the hyphen off the Generalissimo along with the Marshall Star. The building was old and solid. A clever thought, it was now Stalinist in every respect. With only 12 apartments, so there could be no doubt as to who had put up the portrait. A tenant with the repellent name Wobley. Who else could bring that trash into the house? Certainly not Vadik, the virtuoso violinist. Not Tamara Maximovna, the voice coach. No, it had to have been Vobly, the former KGB stooge. Who else? He ducked a bit when stepping out of the entrance. 
The renovation was done, but the building was still surrounded by all sorts of metal structures and scaffolding. He expected to see Wobbly, who spent most of his time outside during the warmer months. Wobbly's family didn't let him smoke inside, and, after years in the service, loitering around entrances was probably a matter of habit with him. Though, in the past few weeks, Wobbly had been coming out with a little stool. Something wrong with his spine, he said. We've all got bad backs from working on our feet. We didn't have all these surveillance cameras back then. Didn't have all these cell phones, neither. True enough. Off to the salt mines, Andrei Georgievich, Wobbly would ask and look at his watch. He'd nod in response and feel a momentary pang of guilt. It was noon, and he was only now leaving the house. And then he would indeed set off for work on foot. That summer, the sidewalks in his neighborhood had been widened, and the roadway had been narrowed, so the streets looked odd to him. He'd made a detour so as to pass by the French school where he'd studied, a typical five-story building recently furnished with an extension a glass cube, not a stylistic match exactly, but Moscow is an eclectic town. Actually, he hadn't spotted Bobley at the entrance. He hadn't seen him for several days now, but that wasn't unusual. He might be at the hospital again for his back. Well, let him get some rest. That hangman must have given him a good laugh. Thank you, Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Now let's turn this off, I guess. Peter, shall we come turn this off? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.